You know, a couple of years ago, there was an article in the Times of India, which was entitled, The Way You Walk Reveals This About Your Personality. So this article was based on some studies in human psychology that seemed to indicate, indicate that the way that people walk might actually reveal something about them. And so in this article, they described how people who walk briskly might be more open and outgoing. That people that walk with long and lunging steps might be efficient multitaskers. And that people who walk slowly and gently <clears throat> might be more relaxed, <clears throat> excuse me, I have allergies at the moment, <clears throat> might be more relaxed and they might be uh, great communicators. And so there's a sense that we may make inferences ba uh, about people based on the way that they walk. And this article, of course, is talking about physical walking. And in our message today, we're going to be talking about the way that God calls us to walk in some areas of our lives. <clears throat> and so we've been in this sermon series um, in the book of Colossians for a few weeks now, which is in the New Testament part of the Bible. And the book of Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the people living in the city of Colossae about a couple thousand years ago. And yet it's still relevant for our lives today as well. And so our subject today will be something that affects everyone, it applies to all of us, and we're going to look at the way that since we've been shaped by Christ into new creations, we're going to be looking at the way that this affects the way that we walk as it relates to our sexuality. And so I'm going to just read from Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> all right. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the way that you once lived. And so, if you were here last week, you would have heard Pastor Jeff preach about, since we've been raised with Christ, we can set our hearts and minds on things above. Today we're going to be looking at the ways that God calls us to walk, like you see in verse 7, as it relates to our sexuality. And then next week, we'll look at how, since we've been raised with Christ, this also affects our words and our speech. And so these three verses are pretty blunt, right? They seem pretty blunt. And, you know, in a sense, it's like parents telling teenagers, when it comes to sex, just don't. And, you know, there's, there's some people around us in our culture that think that Christians have a negative view of sex. And if we were to only look at these three verses, you know, I could see why. But what if God designed sexuality to be something that is sacred? And what if he designed sexuality to be something that leads to flourishing for everyone? <clears throat> So what we'll do is we'll go and look in the book of uh, Genesis to, be, to look at the ways that God has created us as it relates to our sexuality, and we'll, look at, we'll consider sexuality today to be the ways that we uh, connect intimately with God and with one another as well. So I'm going to start by um, looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And so here, right from the beginning, we see that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he says, let us make mankind in our image, not let me make mankind in our image. <clears throat> and so just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
live together in friendship and love and community. As we've been made in his image, we've also been made in the same way to desire relationship and connection with God and with others. This idea is emphasized again in the next chapter of Genesis 2, verse 18, where it says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God has put within each one of us this desire to live in relationship with other people. It's not good for us to be alone. Also in Genesis, we're reminded that God created us as sexual beings. In Genesis 2, 24, 25, we read, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So sexuality is an important part of who we are. And after creating man and woman, we read, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And so the sexuality that God has placed within us is a good gift that he's given us. And God wants to point us towards ways that we can flourish in a healthy sexuality. The theologian Marva Dawn has written a lot about human sexuality, and she based a lot of her writing on the Genesis account, the creation account, and these verses that we just read. So she describes, when she looks at the, uh, the creation account, she describes the first type of sexuality that people have is called social sexuality that God has given to us. And she refers to this as our desire that God has placed within us to connect to God and others. Just like we said, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in relationship together, and we've been created in the same way as his image bearers. And social sexuality relates to our desires to be seen and known and loved. You know, one of the hardest things in the pandemic for me, especially in the, first part, the worst part of it, was the amount of time that I had to be alone. So I had to work from home for a while, and my husband had to work elsewhere. And, and there were so few opportunities to interact with friends and family, and so I found that really hard. And so for many of us, isolation was a really hard part of something that we've gone through this, in this pandemic. And I really do believe that we thrive and we flourish as human beings when we can be together, since this is the way that God has designed us. And so a second type of sexuality that Marva Dawn describes um, in scripture and, and looking at the Genesis account is physical sexuality. And, as, and so I'm gonna, there's a, another screen here. And so there's a, the, a sense that there's a large part of our sexuality which is called social sexuality and physical sexuality is a small part of it. And God has designed the beautiful gift of physical sex to be something that is expressed in the security of a lifelong covenant of marriage. And so this is quite contrary to our culture, right? And our culture often thinks that physical sex is something that's very casual, maybe something like a handshake. Um, But the Bible says that physical sex is something that's deeply personal. It's a sharing of life together. It's an act of emotional and physical vulnerability. And it can be described as something like human contact cement that deeply connects people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. A number of years ago, I read a book uh, by a secular psychologist by the name of Gordon Neufeld. And so he was writing in this book about the reasons why physical sex is so powerful from a scientific perspective. This is what he wrote. 
Sex is a potent bonding agent. Studies have confirmed what most of us will have found out on our own, that making love has a natural bonding effect. Simply put, sex creates a potent connection and then harnesses the rest of the brain through chemicals the brain releases to preserve the bond that has been created. And so, in addition to spiritual and emotional reasons why physical sex binds people together, there are also physiological and neurochemical reasons for why it is so powerful. So God has designed us and placed within us a sexuality that is very holistic and much larger than just physical sexuality. And we can flourish in our social sexuality regardless of relational status and regardless of age. A healthy, flourishing sexuality is something that is grounded in being seen and seeing God and others. It's grounded in being known and knowing God and others. You know, a friend of mine is in her late 30s, and she's single. She hasn't ever been married. <clears throat> and she, um, she's a really great friend of mine, and I've just been noticing that she has a good career that she enjoys. She has close friendships. She has good relationships with people in her family. And she has really been sharing with me over the past while that there was a season in her life that she really longed to be married, and she really longed to start a family. But she was telling me about a month ago that recently she has been experiencing more peace and contentment in this area of her life. And she told me about a month ago that she doesn't think she'll ever get married and that she's totally okay with this. And so she is flourishing in her social sexuality, but not physical sexuality. And when I see her, I sense that I see true joy in her eyes, and I sense that I see a genuine smile on her face. And so God may call some of us to be married and some of us to be single, and regardless though of whatever path God calls us to, we can all still flourish with our social sexuality. Our challenge today, of course, as we live in this world, is that our culture is actually obsessed with physical sex. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, his culture was the same way. They were also obsessed with physical sex. And physical sexuality can become characterized by lust and greed, and maybe even making sex into an idol if it becomes more important to us than our relationship with God. And at its core, our sexuality is a longing and a hunger for relationship. And our world might tell us that the only way to satisfy that hunger is through physical sex. But scripture does offer us a bigger picture. So how can we walk in God's ways as it relates to our sexuality? Or another way to put it, since we're living as new creations, how how can we do so as we've been raised with Christ? So a first step towards walking in God's ways as it relates to our sexuality is the idea and the importance of connecting with others. I don't know if you use social media or how much you use it. You know, there's a number of us here who might have a lot of friends on Facebook or maybe a small number or a large number of followers on Instagram. And I've been pulling back from social media a little bit over the past while, and I know some of you here have as well. But we still may use it to some degree or to varying degrees. But when you use social media, how do you feel about that? Do you feel seen and known and loved? 
when you use social media and how well are you connecting with people there? And when you use social media, do you find that your heart is feeling satisfied relationally? There can actually be an opportunity cost related to using social media. Studies show that there's only a small number of friends that we can actually have. So some studies indicate that we can really only have about five close friends and maybe about 15 friends that we call good friends who we might turn to you know, for support or sympathy if that's what we need. But the thing about social media is that if we spend large amounts of time on social media, then this often means that we have less time to build friendships that are close and meaningful and satisfying. And so for today, you know, I just wonder too if you have considered that opportunity cost and maybe just pray about that and consider how that might be impacting your life at the moment. I also wonder if you've ever heard of this band called the Sheepdogs. They're a Canadian band. They've won four Juno Awards um, and they've multi-platinum album sales. And they're from the sunny city of Saskatoon, which is also where I'm from. And one song that they released in 2018 is a song called There's a Hole in Where My Heart Should Be. And this song actually resonates with me and my life experiences to a certain extent. There is a sense that there's a hole where my heart should be sometimes. I've, I find that I have a very deep desire to connect with other people. And I find that I'm happiest if I feel seen and if I see others. I feel happiest if I feel known and if I know other people. And I find that if I'm not careful and if I'm not intentional about really being open and genuine and honest and vulnerable with friends around me, then I feel like there's a hole where my heart should be. There's a sense that being open and vulnerable in friendships really helps people grow closely together. You know, Brene Brown has written a lot about vulnerability. And she insightfully defines vulnerability as exposure, uncertainty, and emotional risk. She wrote, yes, feeling vulnerable is at the core of difficult emotions like fear, grief, and disappointment. But it's also the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, and empathy. And if you find it challenging to be open and vulnerable with friends as you're growing in friendship together, I invite you to consider some advice that one of my mentors gave me a few years ago. One of my mentors told me that when, you're, when we're just learning and growing about how, learning how to be open and vulnerable with people around us, we might consider a comparison to this and also like a cup of juice and a toddler. So you, you may realize that there's wisdom. If you're giving a toddler a cup of juice, there's wisdom in not filling the cup all the way to the top especially when they're first use, learning how to use a cup. If a toddler's given a full cup of juice, it's really hard to manage the cup, right? And it can spill. And of course, as the toddler gets older and practices, then you can fill up the cup more and more. And this can be related to how we grow in friendship with other people. You know, there's wisdom when you're making a new friend to just maybe open up a little bit of your lives and a little bit of your hearts. It's kind of like filling up a cup just a little bit. And then there's wisdom in just waiting to see how the person handles that. Do they manage it well? And do you find them to be trustworthy? And if you do find them to be trustworthy, then next time maybe you can open up your heart and your life a little bit more. And it's like putting more juice into the cup. 
You know, there's wisdom when you're meeting someone for the first time or just beginning a friendship. There's wisdom in not being completely open and vulnerable right from the beginning, just until you can see if that person is going to be a trusted friend. And so openness and vulnerability is something that can help us to flourish um, as we're wise about it and as it relates to our social sexuality. And as it relates to our physical sexuality, for some, this often means being open and vulnerable with your spouse and letting physical sex be a celebration of your intimacy and connectedness together. So connecting with people around us is one way that we can learn to walk in God's ways as it relates to our sexuality. And there's also, it's also important for us to connect with Christ. One way that we can connect with Christ and get to know him more is by reading scripture, and especially the historical accounts of his life and what he was like. If you haven't ever read any of the historical accounts of Jesus' life, I encourage you to maybe read the book of Mark just to see what he's like. And Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was fully God and fully human. And in his humanness, he was a sexual being. And Jesus, when he was on the earth, lived the perfect life as a single man. He flourished, he was full of life and vitality and joy in his relationship with God and in his relationship with others. And he regularly prioritized spending time with God in prayer and also spending time growing in friendships with people around him. Now, we cannot be perfect like Jesus was, and he knows that about us. He knows that we fall short and that we make mistakes. And this is one of the reasons why he voluntarily allowed for himself to be killed on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he mysteriously absorbed our sin and shame and even the wrath of God directed towards injustice and wrongdoing. And I find that as I prioritized spending time with Christ in scripture and in prayer and worship, I find that he fills a hole where my heart should be as well. So connecting with Christ and connecting with others are ways that we can flourish in a healthy sexuality and find a sense of well-being as well. I'm going to read a story to you. It's really short, and uh, the, the author of this story is uncertain, and the origin is unknown, but, and the story is called The Wolf You Feed. One evening, an elderly person told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? And the elderly person simply replied, the one you feed. And so feeding our earthly nature, like it describes in Colossians, is pretty easy to do these days. We can hear and see so much about lust and greed and impurity. 
then we can make choices to limit how much we feed our earthly nature by limiting exposure to these influences. And pornography is another thing, too, that is related to these ideas that we're reading in these verses. And pornography is something that a lot of people struggle with in our culture today. And if you find yourself drawn into or tempted by pornography or other areas related to our earthly nature, there are additional strategies that could be helpful as well to consider. If you ever feel tempted or drawn in, you could consider phoning a friend maybe or asking someone to pray for you. And a good, a helpful idea too might be just to go for a run or go to the gym or maybe try something creative, you know, like painting or pottery. And there are support groups and counselors, and if you ever want to talk to Pastor Jeff or myself or another pastor here, we'd, we'd be happy to talk with you to, for support and prayer and encouragement as well. And if or when we feed our earthly nature, like feeding that wolf, it grows stronger and stronger. And living according to our earthly nature goes against the grain of the universe. It goes against the way that God designed us to be, and it will eventually diminish us as human beings. And people get hurt when there are behaviors that go against God's design. And so God's design for a holistic sexuality may seem to some people to be backwards or outdated or restrictive, but God says, trust me. I know what will bring you life. In May 2020, did you know it was possible to buy a kit to build an airplane for about $25,000? And most of us probably realize that an airplane needs to be shaped in such a way to make it possible for it to fly. It needs to be built according to laws of aerodynamics. And unless you're an aeronautical engineer, and if you purchased a kit like this, there'd be wisdom to follow the owner's manual, right, when you're building this plane if you want it to fly. And this can be compared to our lives as well as we walk with God. Our loving God has designed us and created us. And scripture can be seen like an owner's manual for our hearts and a description of how we can live in fullness of life in Christ. And if we shape our actions and our lives according to God's design, according to scripture, we can soar in a sense like an airplane that's built according to the laws of aerodynamics. And walking in God's ways as it relates to our sexuality is, is countercultural today. And like we said before, it was also countercultural when Paul wrote this letter. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his sermons, he said to his listeners, he said, he encouraged them not to follow in the ways of the culture of the time. He invited people to listen to the beat of a more distant drum and to move according to its echoing sounds. I invite you to together with me to let's listen to the music of God together and let's keep in step with God's rhythm. Let's keep time to the more distant drum beat and walk according to God's music. I'd like to invite you to join together with me in prayer, if you will, just for a moment. I invite you to close your eyes if you like. Are you struggling with any area of your sexuality today? 
And do you find it hard to connect with a healthy sexuality? If so, know that you're not alone and we can look to Christ together. Let's pray. Generous and gracious God, we thank you for the life that you've given to each one of us. We thank you that you've created each person in your image. We thank you that you've created us to live in relationship with you and others around us as well. We pray that you'd help us to grow in our capacity to connect intimately with you and one another in healthy ways. Help us to find joy and flourishing as we walk in your ways. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.